Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. This week I'm going to talk to you about declaration and praise and how those things play out in these verses. And so if you're taking notes, the title of this message is Declaration and Praise. So, before we talk about this, I want to ask you a question. I, I kind of put this question out on Facebook earlier today because I, I, I like for you to think about things before you get here. Have you ever been so moved by something you saw that it caused you to break out in celebration? You see something that's so amazing, so incredible, so beautiful, that having seen it causes you to immediately move to a place where you begin to celebrate and praise God for who He is. All of us probably, or should have, if we look outside at all, should have done that. There have been times in my life I've seen the Rocky Mountains, I've seen mountainside lakes, I've seen all of those things. I was in the desert in the Middle East, looking up in a, from a cot at the desert sky, and if you think you see stars in Middle Tennessee, you've never seen the billowy clouds of a desert night. I've seen things that make you go, man, there has to be something incredible out there. Back then I didn't know that, or hadn't been saved, so I just knew that this had to be on purpose, even in my inner being. Just seeing it caused me to know. I see that love in Angela, and it causes me to celebrate God. I see that love in you guys praying for me, and it causes me to celebrate God. I see, as you guys know, we, we just became grandparents. I'm going to brag about that. It's going to be a sermon illustration for a long time, just so you all know. But we just became grandparents to one incredibly perfect little boy. And so we look at him, and from the first day we looked at him until now, and probably until we go on to be with the Lord, we look at him and we see perfect ten toes, perfect ten fingers, we see his first smile, the glint in his eye. Literally, he's, he's, he's not doing anything except for using the bathroom, eating and sleeping. But he's all swaddled up and he's perfectly eating and using the bathroom and sleeping. Like he, in his swaddled nothingness, he's the coolest swaddled nothingness I've ever seen. And because of that, Angela and I find ourselves instinctively, it's not a place we have to go or force ourselves into, we instinctively move from seeing this incredible thing to declaring praise of the God that made this incredible thing. We go, man, he's got ten perfect toes. Praise God, he is perfectly made, that you have a plan for him. And so we see all these things, because all of these things, everything that we see, everything that we touch, the very fact that we exist at all, that God determined to set his love on us, should move us from seeing it first to declaring it second. From seeing to praising. Or as the title is, from declaring, man, look how cool this baby is. Look how cool my church family is. Look how cool Angela is. Look how cool the world is. To praising God that all of those things are awesome. And this is what John does in verses 
4 through 8. I'm going to read these verses to you. It says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. So he starts with a, an announcement, just an uh, introduction of himself, like you would any letter. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who were before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he who has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. Which is to say, so be it. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So what's happening? This is what's happening. John's saying, listen, let me, I'm here to talk to you about the revelation to all the churches. I'm here to tell you about the God that you serve. The declaration that I'm going to give you starts with the incredible God that you serve. That He is God the Father, He is God the Son, He is God the Holy Spirit, and all the attributes included, He is, was, and is to come. He always will be. He's eternal. So He starts breaking off on all this. And then He begins praising God. Because He sees who God is, and then he acknowledges it. He says, praise to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he's coming with the clouds. So he's, he's just declaring in praise. We need to get to a place as a church where we can see God for who he is and not be scared to praise him for who he is. doesn't matter who's around or who's listening. We need to be a people of praise because we have a reason to declare. Amen. And so, and then he goes and he continues his praise. And then in verse 8, God comes in and says, puts his stamp of approval on it. He says, yeah, what he said is right. He sees God and declares him for who he is. He praises him because of his declaration. And God comes in on the heels of his praise and confirms to us that what John is saying is true. Declaration. And praise. And so I want to walk you through these texts, through these verses today. John's declaration to the Godhead. He starts like this. John, to the seven churches who are in Asia, grace to you and peace. If I don't hear, if I don't do anything else today, these words, grace to you and peace. You wonder why he starts a letter like that? Because he wants to know, he wants his audience to know. He wants us to know. Grace to you and peace. That God that we serve is a God of grace. That we have what we have because we serve a God of grace. Because according to the word, according to 2 Corinthians 12, 9, his grace is sufficient. When we're, str when we're strong, his grace is 
sufficient. When we're weak, His grace is sufficient. When we're sick, His grace is sufficient. I think the, the thing that the church misses a lot, probably not the greatest thing they miss, is that grace isn't something that happens to you when you get saved. Only. Grace is the continual empowerment of God for which you do not deserve. Everything that you've got, you've got because a God that created you decided you should have it. That's grace. Unmerited favor. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't work hard enough to achieve it. But God determined to set his face on you. Do you hear what I'm saying to you today? If we don't talk about anything else, I want you to know that you serve a God of grace who is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. It's available for our justification according to Romans 3.24. It's the mercy that drives God's compassion for us according to Acts chapter 5. God is a God of compassion. That compassion drives His mercy. His mercy is delivered to us in the form of grace. And what that compassion word means, some of you have heard me say this before, but it's so necessary. For oh man, I feel bad for him. That's not compassion. Compassion is feeling so bad for someone that your guts are wrenched to the point that you have to do something to benefit them. When the... the uh, Help me out. The guy in the ditch. The good Samaritan. When the guy was in the ditch, it said the Samaritan was moved with what? Compassion. When Jesus saw the people without a shepherd, he was what? Compassion moved him. When we look at someone, when God looks at us, he sees us in our dire state and says, I can't not do something about that. Why? Because he loves us. And nobody that truly loves someone else will ever allow anything to happen to them that causes unnecessary suffering. And God extended grace to us. John starts this thing by saying, grace and peace to you. Know that God sees you that he's provided for you, the air in your lungs, the food that you have. Everything that you have is nothing that you deserve. Even our very life. Can you imagine such a thing? God, God could have and probably should have when Adam fell, killed us and started over. But he didn't. His plan, because he's a God of mercy, moved by compassion, was to extend grace to us through his son Jesus so that we might have eternal life. That's the beauty of the gospel. Amen? So I'm telling you, I'm, trying to I'm not really trying to encourage you. I'm just trying to tell you what the word says. You exist because God wanted you to. Isn't that awesome? The God that created everything. You exist because he wanted you to. He gave you breath and all the things that you have. He gave us baby Landon. Not because we deserve baby Landon. But because God loves us.
and this should bring us peace. This is Paul's on purpose. Because I know some of you. And peace is not what I would label you in. You've allowed yourself to slip outside the understanding that God sees you. That the omnipotent God holds you. That he has created you for a purpose. That he's declared that you are good. Because he created you and then made you good through the sacrifice of his son Jesus. If he provided grace for you, do you not think that he will sustain that grace over you until he takes you home? That's the, that's the beauty I, I have people ask me from time to time because I, I, I am dealing with this whatever it is. They said, do you ever worry about what if, what if, what if you die? Not that it's that dire, but what if I died? I've had people ask. And my answer is this, because I, I know that God's grace is real, that I am invincible until God decides he's done with me, and then I'm ready to go home anyway. This is where we all need to get to. It'll keep us from being distracted from what's going on in the world, what's going on in the news, what's going on in our communities, some of what's even going on in our church. Recognize that God is a God of peace. And it says, says this. I'm going to take the time to read it to you. In second, or Philippians 4.7, many of you are so familiar with this text. But it says, I'm going to start with 6. Be anxious for nothing. This is a declaration. This is a command to God's people. Be anxious for nothing. I know in our finite minds, we believe we have reason to be anxious. What if I can't meet my bills? What if I continue to be sick? What if my wife doesn't come home? What if there's no restoration in this particular relationship? What if, what if, what if, what if? At the end of the day, the Bible commands us be anxious for nothing. That means not some stuff. It means we can't go to the altar and give God the stuff that we want Him to have and keep the rest of it for us. It means that we have to, or even worse, drop it at the altar and then pick it back up because He didn't solve it as fast as we think He should. But it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, which means by praying and asking. And this is this. With a heart of thanksgiving. What? Wait a minute, man. I just told you my life's upside down. Things aren't going like I, I thought they should. You don't want me to be anxious? And you want me to go to God in prayer? Thankful? Yes. But I don't want you to. God wants you to. Let me ask you a question. If somebody came up to you all the time, and said, hey, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. And you gave it to them. They never said thank you. How long, after, how many times would you give them something that you wouldn't at some point begin to get irritated that they weren't thankful you gave them the thing in the first place? One. That's exactly right. Hey, I need 50 bucks. Can you loan me 50 bucks? Yeah. Give them 50 bucks, they're all, 
They just walk off. Next week they ask for 50 bucks again. What do you say? I, first off, I tell you, I don't loan any money I, I expect to get back. It keeps me from getting bitter. But let me tell you, if you weren't thankful when you left, you ain't getting a second 50 bucks. So it says, I know I'm so far out of the book of Revelation, but these two words are so important. Peace and grace. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And then what? If you do this, remember we serve an if-then God. If you stop being anxious, if you go to Him in prayer and supplication, if you go to Him with a heart of thanksgiving, believing that He's going to take care of it, then it says, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, which means I don't see how God's going to work this out. That's good. The Bible tells you you ain't going to understand it anyway. I know I got all chicken neck. I get excited I get chicken neck. But... And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, many of your Bibles probably said understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That peace will guard your heart. That's, that's, guard is a military term, meaning that God's going to stand on the post of your heart because you belong to Christ Jesus to ensure that you walk in the peace that you should walk in. If you be anxious for nothing, but everything in prayer and supplication, with a heart of thanksgiving, believing that He will. Woo, glory. Come on. We should be excited about that because my life is upside down. My best day isn't the best day I know some other people have. But you know what? My best day or my worst day, God guards the doorposts of my heart. I walk in peace anyway. I walk in comfort anyway because I've convinced myself the Spirit of God has convinced me that His Word is true. And I'm invincible until He's done with me. And then He'll take me home. And I don't want to hang out with y'all after that anyway. Well, not in the flesh anyway. Amen? So he starts with that, and I think it's so important that we move from there. So what's he saying? Grace and peace to you. Before, I want you to think about all the things you think you know about Revelation. All the craziness. Like, we're going to get into it. It might be a month or so from now, two months from now, I don't know. But at some point, we're going to delve into the craziness that is the book of Revelation. But God, because he knew you'd be freaked out, said, grace and peace to you. It's going to be all right. Whatever lies herein, I've got you. I'm going to give you unmerited favor, even in that craziness. And I'm going to give you a peace that's beyond your own comprehension, even in that craziness. And none of us have ever seen that craziness. So certainly we can have grace and peace in this craziness. Amen? All right. Just makes common sense. One other thing I wanted to address was that it says, well, there's several other things, but the thing I'm going to address next, it says in verse 5, oh, I'm in Colossians, I'm wondering why that doesn't look right. 
I'm sorry, verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. We're going to get into why he's speaking to specifically seven churches. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So not only does God declare that peace and grace belong to us, but then John begins to declare the Godhead. Remember, we're still working on declaration. We're not even praising yet, but we're getting there. So he starts talking about the Godhead. He said, God the Father, from him who is and who was and who is to come. He's saying, listen, you serve an eternal God that's eternally available, that extends eternal grace, that extends eternal peace. You serve a God that was the same a thousand years ago as he is right now. He'll be the same a thousand years from now. Let me tell you why that's important to you. One, because every promise that God makes to you means that promise is still true because God can't change. There's a reason for that. You know why God can't change? Because God's perfect. If he changed, he'd have to change for the good or the better or the, or the worse. If he changed for the good, that means he's not perfect right now. If he changes for the worse, that means he's... Wait a minute, I forgot how. If he's not... If he changes for the good, that means he's not perfect now. If he changes for the worse, he wasn't perfect then. One of those. Either way, you get the idea. He's perfect. And because he is perfect and because he promises us eternal promises in his word and he is eternal and keeps those promises, the word of God says that we can say amen. Everybody's heard the text that says the promises of God are yes and amen. Well, you've heard wrong. Promises of God are yes. Period. In 2 Corinthians, it gives us the rest of that text. 20. For as many are the promises of God, in Him they are yes. Therefore, because we can count on those promises, therefore also through Him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Because He's eternal, his promises are yes. They're not yes and amen. They're yes. And because we can have confidence that He doesn't change, that He is eternal, that He is, was, and will ever for, forever be, we have the confidence to say with absolute certainty, amen. Which is to say, let it be done. It shall be done. I want you to look at the promises of God like that in the scripture. That he hasn't changed them or manipulated them or caused you to fall out from under them. If he gave a promise in his word to his people and you are his people, then that promise still exists for you. Walk in the promise of God. That's 2 Corinthians 2.10. Or 1.20, I'm sorry. I got a little dyslexic in my mind. 1.20. So walk in that promise. And we go, man, I wish I got this thing in my heart I know God's called me to, but and I wonder if maybe he hadn't, he's changed his mind. God doesn't change his mind over you. God's love for you is true. God's love for you is certain. God's love for you is yes. And because God's love for us is yes, and because as John declares, 
he's eternal, we have the confidence to say amen. Amen? amen. All right. Not only he's eternal, but then he starts talking about God the Holy Spirit. He says this, and from the seven spirits who were before his throne, and this whacks people out. They're all, wait a minute, there's only one spirit. How there are seven spirits? Who's are, whose spirits are they? What are they? These kind of things. Let me tell you, there's one spirit, seven perfect manifestations of that spirit. The Holy Spirit is the seven perfect characteristic spirits in the front of the throne of God. Let me prove this to you in Scripture. Isaiah 11, 1 through 3 reads like this. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. That's, that's Jesus, of course. The Spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, and fear. So he is the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel, Spirit of strength, the Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Now, I want you to think about this. This is beautiful. This is exactly how the New Testament describes the Spirit working within us. The same Spirit that rested on Jesus lives in us. The same Spirit that was Jesus lives in us. It's the Spirit of wisdom. It's the Spirit that recognizes Lordship. Because nobody comes to God until the Spirit draws them. It's the spirit of wisdom because he delivers wisdom. He teaches us understanding, counsel, strength. He's the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And isn't that, isn't that awesome? That's awesome. For those of you guys that subscribe to the email list that has my outlines in it, I've got all the texts that show all of those things in the outline. So you can go to the New Testament and look them up. You just email info at launchpoint.church. Yeah, anytime. Anytime, I'll send them to you. So we've got two sent out already. This will be the third one. So the seven spirits are the spirit of God. And so John declares that God is eternal and that the spirit has empowered you incredibly. And then he declares Jesus the Son, and from Jesus Christ. And then he gives all these cool things about Jesus. He declares him as the faithful witness. Let me get back to Revelation. He declares him as the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, him who loved us and released us. From our sins by his blood. He has made us to be a kingdom. Priest to his God and Father. Whew. I'm going to spend a few minutes here. I want, you to, I want you to walk away with some idea of the magnitude of Christ Jesus. That he is the faithful witness. That he is a perfect reflection of God. You know what a faithful witness is? Someone that can be absolutely trusted. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He came to represent the Father, perfection in the flesh. He is a faithful witness. He didn't do anything except for what he was told 
to do when he was when he was uh, being interviewed or interrogated, as it were, by the by Pilate. He said to testify when he asked him who he was. He said, "I came that I might testify the, for the truth." John eighteen thirty seven. For this I was born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. So whatever he's told you is truth. Whatever he's given you is truth. Whatever action he's taken is truth. People say, man, a lot of this stuff died with the first century church. Not in Jesus. Be a true, true testament witness. Because he healed, healing is still available. Because he loved, because he extended grace, love and grace are still available. Because he extended peace, peace is still available. God's so good. He's the perfect witness. He declares Jesus is the firstborn above the dead of the dead. We like this term. We don't get it. We think, yeah, he's the firstborn of the dead according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but he's not. Lazarus was raised from the dead before him. So what's John saying? John's saying he's the first in preeminence. He is the greatest of those resurrected. He is the proof that will be resurrected. You know the thing about Lazarus, he was raised from the dead, but he still died. There's a whole other lesson in that. But Jesus lives today making intercession at the right hand of the Father for you. Testifying truly, which freaks me out and blesses me at the same time, to who you are, who you really are to God. <laughs> Ain't got time for that. Ruler, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is absolutely sovereign. He is above Every name. Philippians chapter 2. Says this. I'm going to just kind of narrow the text. For this reason also. Because of who he was. And what he did. And what he accomplished. For this reason also. God highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name. Which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. Did you catch that? Every knee will bow. But, you, but the president's messing my life up. He going to raise my taxes. Every knee will bow. Well, what about Iran? Every knee will bow. Well, what about the guy that's oppressing me at work because of my faith? Every knee will bow. Listen to me. Every knee means every knee. Every knee will bow on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let them do what they want to do. Tell them the gospel. Love them. But at the end of the day, whether they listen to you, whether they listen to the Spirit, at some point in their future, they're going to declare Jesus Christ glorious. They'll have no other choice. How do you stand in front of the throne room of God and do anything else? Right? And then in all of that, he's talking about because he redeemed us, because he brought us into his kingdom, because we are priests, because now we have access to him, we should praise.
we should praise because we've been given a promise. And I'm going to end on this. Revelation 1, 7 and 8. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Who's saying this? It's the Holy Spirit. Who's coming? Jesus is coming. You know why Jesus is coming? Because he's an absolute truthful witness. If he tells you it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. And just for those of you guys that be all, yeah, but that's John talking. Jesus comes back in here. This is where the letters are in red and puts his stamp on it. It said, my brother's right. I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the God that we serve. This is what we declare. And in our declaration, instinctively come to a place of praise. How great thou art is the greatest song we could have sung today because it starts with, I see. And then it begins to praise him for, for what they see. What do you see of God? How often and how much time do you spend in your word letting God show you how beautiful he is? Because once you see the beauty of a magnificent God, recognize the peace and the grace that's been given to you, it's a matter of time before instinctively, without thinking about it, out of your mouth will come praise. Amen.